One of my goals with the Secret Podcast is to make the supernatural more natural and the paranormal more normal. These are events and occurrences that happen as a part of our natural and normal everyday lives. We've just been conditioned to ignore them and deny their existence. Well, it's time to undo that conditioning. I'm proud to announce that Ray Davis and I of Sixth Sense Media have created our own Sixth Sense Media clothing line. We can't always go up to somebody and say, hey, what do you think about disclosure and UFOs and aliens on the earth? But you can wear one of our Disclosure Now t-shirts and get people's attention. Start the conversation or connect with another like-minded person who sees your shirt. If you're a truth seeker or someone looking to enact positive change in the world, why not wear it with pride? Connect with other like-minded truth seekers and become the change you want to be and see in this world. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store tab, and become the change you were born to inspire. Visit SixthSenseMedia.net, click on the store. Welcome to Truth Seekers. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Time is an illusion. Space is an illusion. The world we live in is a gross misrepresentation of a reality. Our perceptions are skewed, and that skewed perception limits our belief in what's possible. Hello, Truth Seekers. Dennis Navi the Second with Sixth Sense Media. I want to talk on this episode of the Seeker Podcast about some experiences I've had in remote viewing training recently that have just taken my perceptions, my understandings to a whole new level. There's a difference between believing and knowing, and I have crossed that threshold uh, in a very real way, and I want to share that with all of you. I'm excited about it, um, to talk about some of my experiences and how it fits with our greater reality and understanding of that. I've got a few things in the news, I have another story that I want to talk about as well. Uh, let me start with the story. You know, I think that it's important. There's there's always a lot of stuff going on in the world, right? We've got flooding in Venice. We've got the saga that's becoming Trump's impeachment query. We've got climate change. We've got an extinction going on. A lot of scary stuff. A lot of things that occupy our time and our mind and distract us, I think, from taking those moments to stop and to really learn not learning what they're throwing in front of us on the news every evening, not learning what the most exciting thing is and the alternative and independent thread is coming across the line, but taking time and listening to that inner voice that's telling us, here's your next step. Follow this path. I'm thinking back, I talked a little bit about it in the book, but when I really started listening to that voice, and and this was a lot easier because at the time I lived alone, and I didn't have kids, but I'd get these random urges, feelings, pulls, voices, words, th- thoughts that would come into my mind or, or, or feelings that would come into my body. And I'd explore them. I'd follow them. And sometimes they would just say, go to this location or drive until you find the right location, get out and walk. And I spent a lot of time going off in the woods and just feeling my way through the woods and having experiences and quieting my mind and listening and and contemplating and pay attention to what was coming to me. And I learned a lot from just being on my own and listening to that inner voice, not looking on Facebook, not watching the news, not listening to a podcast. I know I'm shooting myself in the foot here, right? With that statement. All that stuff has value, but I feel that a lot of times we lose touch with that inner voice because life gets so busy or life gets so scary and we lose that. Um, And I learned a lot by just taking out my belief. And that's hard to do because we have a particular worldview. But when you can open your mind and your heart enough to say, well, 
what's really going on here? Does this make sense? You start to unravel some things you believe in. And I watched something mistakenly. Uh, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole last week. And I watched something that reminded me of one of the reasons I wrote the book. But I think sometimes we have to stop for a minute and take a look at the design of the, the planet and reality that we exist in right now. And it's difficult to watch, but if you get a moment and you, and you need this reminder, take a look at a, a nature show on YouTube where a predator is going after and eating its prey. That was um, years ago, a very eye-opening realization for me in looking at the design of nature and seeing that nature by design, whether initial or intervention, I don't know, but the current design or current program running through nature right now is to consume itself. In order to survive, life needs to eat life. And I watched this video of, it, it was like when zebras escape, but you watch these lions hunting zebra. And there were a couple scenes where the lion gets the zebra and the lion's laying on its back and it's got its jaws around the zebra's throat and it's got its claws dug into the zebra's side. And the zebra is screaming. It's screaming. It's a horrible thing to listen to. Maybe don't watch it. Maybe just listen. But it's good to experience it for yourself sometimes. Anyway, the zebra's screaming and then the person filming zooms out. And you see the one lion choking this zebra that's screaming. And then you see probably 200 zebra, maybe 100 yards away, staring. Every one of them is frozen and watching that zebra die. They're paralyzed with fear. Not realizing that if the mass was to storm that lion that zebra would be fine. It would have it would survive and not go through that suffering. So there's a couple things here. In in watching that and understanding basically as above, so below, and the metaphor that life at the lowest level can reflect life at the highest level. And you see ask yourself about the design. Because what we're experiencing when we watch that video is the zebra's perspective, the fear, that raw fear and suffering that that zebra is experiencing right there. And we can correlate that to our lives sometimes, the suffering that we've either we've gone through or someone we care about has gone through, or worst case scenario, when somebody puts up a video uh, in the news or something and it talks about young kids suffering, we can empathize with that and we think that's a horrible thing. But then if you have somebody who films it from a different perspective and films the lioness, maybe with her cubs, and shows the love between the lion and her cubs, and then it, sh it explains how hungry the lion is and maybe shows us some video of a lion or the cubs dying and starving to death and what a disgustingly horrible process that can be. And then you see them, you know, eating a zebra maybe you don't hear the zebra crying because they're giving it a different perspective and you're like oh thank goodness they found something to eat now the baby cubs have lived so the zebra's death looks horrible but baby lion cubs starving to death sounds horrible as well and by the lions eating the zebras Obviously, it creates a balance that now there's not too many zebras that are going to then exhaust the food supply, and then all of the zebras are going to starve to death. So the lions are a form of population control, which is a form of food control, which keeps this delicate balance in check. But take a step back again and say, well, how did it get that way? And it's a question I don't have the answer to. I'm going to talk in terms of belief for a moment, but I look at that and, and I believe that there was an intelligent design behind that. Now, when I say intelligent design, I don't sit here and think God made us, that's his will, and that's how it's going to be. When I say intelligent design, I think of a scientist, uh, an advanced intelligence that created this biosphere for a variety of reasons. 
that goes beyond just physical existence. That doesn't mean there's no love there. It doesn't mean there's no cruelty there. That doesn't mean that we are the gods of this planet. That doesn't mean that uh, everything's perfect because that's how it's meant to be. But I think that there was a design here. Now, if, if you believe there was a design to this world, that someone or something, good, bad, evil, ask yourself why. Why, if you have the power to create, would you create a world that not only requires life to consume life, but creates it in a way that it evolves to consume life in a way that generates so much fear and panic? Why? And I think it's important to understand that worldview to understand that question, to understand that that exists as we move forward. Because what I found in myself over the last two years, as I've been looking at news, politics, world events, um, and where the world seems to be going, having that perspective, I believe has moved me into a better informed decision space. To make better decisions for my family. To understand that this is what's possible. There is a design that exists that we live within that allows for suffering. That doesn't mean I walk around afraid, but that means I understand that there are forces in here that sometimes may be working against me that are looking to elicit suffering. And we may think, and for a long time I wish I could just put my head in the sand. But you get to a point where you can begin to problem solve better when you understand the game a little bit more. Not that I understand the whole game, but I have, I think, a, a fragment of that, This what this is. And uh, we can develop some tools to address that. But if we continually go through our existence and subscribe to a belief system that doesn't answer or provide opportunities to have certain questions answered if the answer is well that's the divine's will that's how it was made and there's nothing i can do about it it's limiting what's possible it's limiting what's possible so i i share the kind of scary stuff a little bit because it was something that I was thinking about and I, I hope that you take something from it and I explore this a lot in uh, in I'm human and we're not who we think we are that's the main premise of that and then in food for the archons I have some really good chapters in there uh, addressing that much more eloquently than I just did here so um, let me know what you think I'd love to hear from you on that all right let me move into something let me move into some news real quick I've got uh, two news stories here. Number one, this comes to us from Business Insider. Russian news sites are claiming an American civil war will erupt during the 2020 presidential election. The Russian media has published more than 30 articles in the past few days suggesting that America could develop in, could devolve into a civil war due to the 2020 election. Stories that seek to undermine faith in Western democracy among Russian audiences are a staple of the Russian media, much of which is state-controlled. The source of these articles was an opinion piece published by conservative commentator Neil Ferguson, who references a cultural civil war but concludes that civil war is not imminent. This type of coverage in the Russian media highlights the challenge of contending with information that is distorted to the point of inaccuracy but is not explicitly fake. And that's just the summary that the article provides. But even the uh, the paper itself here, the article itself, American news sites are claiming American Civil War will erupt during the 2020 presidential election. Then you read down the bullet points and it says, well, he concludes that civil war is not imminent. So what are we looking at here? Because we've heard, I've heard rumors of civil war. President Trump has even uh, stated civil war is a possibility on crypto, on, on uh, Twitter. If he uh, was to get impeached, is it possible? Yes, anything's possible, and countries quickly devolve. But we need to be cautious in the narratives that we're prescribing to, because is this type of rhetoric going to put people on edge and on the defense? 
and then make it easier for a single spark, a single match to spark the fire. And that does concern me. Now, we are seeing this crazy buildup of one side versus the other. We've been seeing it throughout the entire presidency here. We're also seeing or hearing rumors and seeing possibilities that Hillary may run again, which would create a repeat of the previous election if Trump is still in office and able to run. What kind of impact would that have on our country? Uh, now I ask you, whichever side of the fence you're on, if that scenario happens and the country gets divided even more so than we are right now, instead of thinking, how can I win? The question should be, how can we win? How can I bridge the divide? And if it's, I need to convince them to vote for my guy, that's the wrong answer. I, it's the wrong answer. How can we compromise and coexist? People are not going to always accept your worldview. How can we meet in the middle? And that's where we need to be focusing, not just, um, well, that's where we need to be focusing on our intention as we move forward. Instead of being afraid that a civil war is going to erupt, again, I did a, I did a show when Trump was running called The Trump Effect, and I, I used to refer to it a lot. I suggest you search for that on SoundCloud uh, and iTunes and look for it and listen to it in the archives. Because it talks about the power, the energetic component, the measurable energetic component and how it spreads like wildfire. And the negative scary stuff seems to move faster than the positive loving stuff because there's a higher charged emotional output, more of an immediate payoff when you buy into the negative and the fear-based stuff and that's what's being sold. But if you study the Maharishi effect and you understand that 1% of a, of a population um, meditating in a given area will reduce levels of violence and, and anger and all that stuff in that area, then you will begin to understand our true power. I encourage you, if you're like me, we have to we have to track the scary stuff and see it. But if you find yourself getting caught up in that, I, I encourage you to go look and watch Greg Braden's content. I find it to be very uplifting, and I find it to be empowering in his understanding and explanation of the science behind spirit, of good arguments as to why this works, not just why it works, but how to make it work, how to connect your thoughts, your feelings, and your emotions, how to use your intention to drive and manifest reality. That's our true power, and we're be but we're led to, we got to fight. We got to fight back. But what energy do you get when you feel fighting? You feel that aggression, that anger, and you're directing that towards your enemy. And you're, what you're doing is you're fueling the fire. What if instead the thought and the mindset and the uh, what you were putting out was peace and balance? What impact would that have? Instead of putting out, even if you're not physically doing anything, your energy speaks. Your energy speaks to the universe. And that's where I talked about understanding our worldview and asking ourselves why an intelligent designed creature, an intelligent design being, would design an existence that maximizes suffering. There's something to that. Again, food for the archons. That's the premise of that. If you're curious about that, please check it out. Yes, shameless plug, but your purchases help to keep this platform going. All right, but moving back, um, what we put out comes back to us in, in ways that I think we don't even fully understand yet. So please take some time in your reflections and in your meditations and uh, find your own way. Find your way. Listen to that voice. And I don't think there will be very many situations where that voice will tell you to fight. There is a voice that will tell you to fight. But is that the voice that you want to listen to? That you need to listen to? There's other ways to influence this reality and to experience this reality. All right. Speaking of things that are being thrown at us, here we go. This comes from Metro. The Facebook app has been quietly turning on people's cameras and freaking them out. 
Many people have wondered if their apps are secretly spying on them. The answer is yes. So, paranoid 21st century folk may not be entirely happy to hear about a bug, which I'm sure it's a bug, and they have it in quotes in this article as well, which turns on people's phone's camera whilst they're using the Facebook app. The glitch affects iPhone owners who said their camera suddenly switched itself on while they were scrolling through their feed, watching videos, or looking at photos. When people turned the video to full screen mode, then they then switched back to Facebook's normal view, they could see a little open space on the left, uh, on the left, and the camera app in the background. Several people have tweeted about the bug, and it has been uh, replicated by tech journalists. Daryl Lassifin, a creative director, tweeted, Facebook app on iOS 13.2.2 opens my my phone's rear camera when I open a profile photo, swipe down, open a profile photo, swipe down to return. Uh, look at the little slit on the left of the video. Is this an app bug or an iOS bug? So it goes on and has some more testimony by people uh, and some screenshots and a video here uh, that demonstrates it as well. I'm looking at the video now. and. Uh, I'm not going to listen to it. But anyway, uh, it's demonstrated on there. So, yes, we know our phones are, are targeting us. I have a friend who works in marketing, in banking, and he was telling me, um, he says, well, you know, your phones are constantly spying on you. He referenced the Cambridge Analytica document, document, I want to say documentation, documentary, documentary on the air uh, on Netflix as well and the validity behind that, and he talked about even something as simple as your Bluetooth. Your Bluetooth is constantly communicating with uh, with stores, and when you're in a store, that Bluetooth knows which aisle you're in, which um, items you're looking at based on whatever tech is inside the packaging and inside the aisles at the store. So they know where you are with your Bluetooth um, and what you're looking at. So you may think, oh, I'm in the store, I've got my phone on me. Well, your Bluetooth is communicating and gets a general idea of the things on the shelves that you're looking at. Now, we know this is possible. We know, we look at the Amazon, the few, the Amazon stores that are online right now that don't have any people working in them, and you, you scan it in with your, uh, with your wallet. Um... Uh, you, you, you scan your phone in as you get in, and that counts as your wallet, and then every time you take something off the shelf, it registers with your phone. Every time you put something back on the shelf, it'll register that as well. Interest, if, you, if you look that up, um, the pilot program for these Amazon stores. So they're collecting data on us. We should just assume that. Be careful with what apps you put on your phone, and understand that your phone, You just it's safer to have the understanding that your phone is constantly listening to you. If you, there's something you don't want captured by your phone, Turn it off and put it somewhere away from whatever it is that you're doing because we're constantly being looked at. Now, with that being said, you know, we're creating a reality where nothing is a secret, right? Everything is is looked at upon us. Now, here's where I guess I become a hypocrite because what I've learned about remote viewing is that nothing is a secret. Everything is recorded. I think the difference is right now we're seeing this recording done by tech companies, by marketing companies, by governments spying on us, and that makes us angry. I don't know who, what, or how the rest of reality is being recorded. I don't know if it's for nefarious purposes. I don't know if that's just a side effect of our existence. I don't know if that's there's another reason for it. These are questions that I don't have answers to. But what what I am starting to experience on my own now is that we can experience and observe any event in time or space. In the past, present, in the future, uh, on this planet, on other planets, in other realities, there from the people I've spoken with, there's really no limit to what we can perceive through techniques like remote viewing. Um, now I know remote viewers won't give the same credibility to out-of-body travelers, uh, but the out-of-body community also has tremendous experience in um, perceiving other realities, other times, and other pieces of information. They just don't, their methods aren't as scientific and um, structured as a remote viewers. 
but I think there's credibility in both camps as obviously. Um, so what does that mean? Who designed this? What, what is this reality? Um, you know, talking with Edward Reardon, he's, he, when we did his um, Earth's core data, it sounded like he tapped into the Akashic records. Now, he just did a target. He released the intro video on his YouTube page. Uh, I just saw it yesterday, and he mentioned Akashic records again. And he, he'll tell you, he says, I'm not a new age guy, but this is how I'm interpreting this database of information. Everything is recorded. Um, what does that mean? Well, let me let me go back at least to, to my experiences. And, and I'm sharing them because I hope that if you're on this journey like me, it's something that's always interested me. I was interested in remote viewing since 1997 when I read Courtney Brown's book. And in his book, he's communicating with aliens and going off planet and experiencing things in other dimensions. And it was a really cool book all through remote viewing. And it's always something I've wanted to learn. And years ago, um, I'm talking probably 10, 15 years ago, I said, I'm going to learn it. And I downloaded the Farsight's free course online. They have manuals, they have things. Um, and he has, he has audio. I think now they're YouTube videos. But he had uh, audio that I downloaded onto my iTunes. I still have it. And it's, it's uh, I forget how many sessions, but it's all training sessions. And it's a very structured way of, of teaching you remote viewing. I never made it through the training. I made it through uh, all the preliminary practice and I got up to working my first target. And then after that, life got busy and I never went back. Um, and I didn't really do well that first time, which is to be expected. It's your first time doing it. But part of it was I wasn't an experienced meditator. And I've realized um, over the past... Uh, I guess few years I've been meditating, I meditate daily now, and that has helped me to be more comfortable and ready for intuitive and psychic data. And um, I'm no stranger to psychic phenomenon, and I think by listening to shows like this, it helps keep your mind open. And one of the things that's helped me has been to, um, as having these psychic experiences paying attention to them and not being afraid to be wrong has been huge for me in i see an aura and here's what i think it means let me go ask somebody that i trust hey are you experiencing this right now and they give me a yes or a no or i see an aura on somebody who i'm not comfortable talking with them about auras let me see if i can steer the conversation in a way that will elicit the information i'm trying to obtain um, so I've constantly been getting feedback on these tiny little impressions. And psychic data, for me, is so quiet. It's so subtle. It's so fleeting. We dismiss it and, that, and then quickly forget it. But if we learn to pay attention, like the phone rings. Oh, that feels like my mom's ring. Oh my gosh, it's my mom. Make a note. Where did that feeling come from? How did I know that? And start looking to that area of wherever that information comes from and pay attention to how often that area tells you something. And then test it. Is it right? If it's not right, why? What was different? So I've been doing those little exercises for the last couple of years. Um, and then getting a Reiki attunement has helped me a lot as well because I was working more with psychic information and interpreting it and just learning to trust it. And I think that's helped me um, in my remote viewing training. But even if you don't have that stuff, I'd say premise number two of my book, Food for the Archons, is taking you on a journey of understanding that everyone can learn to enhance their natural psychic abilities. Not everybody's going to be Michael Jordan, but everybody has the ability to learn to listen to that voice better and to gather real information and data from it. And I knew all that. I wrote the book about that. I've experienced it. But going through remote viewing training has now given me a tool that Reiki gives me one tool where I can go in and I can do certain things. But remote viewing gives me a tool in a different sense. And it's more 
structured and it's more concrete and it's it's I mean Reiki I think is repeatable as well but it's repeatable in a way that it has wowed me in a way that I never expected it now I'm not even through my training I'm I'm in Daz Daz offered to train me and uh it's it's been a, a really cool experience where uh, I'm going through the process of of one stage at a time and I'm up to stage two right now officially and I'm sneaking in and doing stage three remote viewing has six different stages to it um, and every stage what it what it does is if you think of it as the way it's described to me you have a, a camera lens or an aperture and when you're in the first stage it's open like a pinhole and you're just getting very basic data is it soft is it hard is it a structure is it a landmass is it open space that's what you're getting from stage one and then every so often you'll get what's called an aol building temple grasslands and you write that down and, and what what happens is your conscious mind constantly wants to interpret this information that your subconscious is giving you what remote viewing has learned through you know their beginning at stanford research when ingo was was mapping his process by making this structured by writing things down in a very specific way in a very specific place on the page in a very specific order and sequence you occupy your conscious mind so you get this, your subconscious has this information come through, and before your conscious mind can say, hmm, I think this is what this means, what it's saying is, I write this down in this location. Here's where I have to put this, because this is classified as an AOL. This is classified as part of my ideogram and my part A and my part... So it, it walks you through the steps. There's, But there's times where the conscious mind still... It's like, okay, I'm free now. I have a split second. I'm going to shout in some things. So you're learning to distinguish between this is my subconscious data and this is my conscious interpretation and how to balance that. Um, so as you go through your stages, it goes from a pinhole to the next stage. Now it opens up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until you get to stage six. And I haven't been to stage six and I'm sure I know that there's talking to other viewers. There's times where you have this like this hot gigantic snapshot, but at the end of the day, you're still only getting pieces of information at a time um and i can't speak on the more advanced stages i can speak on my experience so far and it's been amazing in learning to just don't think just write it down no matter how weird the data sounds just write it down and uh so that's what i've been doing and then getting the feedback is has been an amazing experience in seeing okay was i right here how correct was i um I did a target last week that Daz sent me, and I remember it was weird. Like I was describing the the tastes of it because we go through all sensory data because you want to see as much as you can get, and you want to describe, not name things. Um, and I'll, I'll get into an example of that in a minute. But when I'm describing the tastes, there was a real fishy taste. I wrote guppy, uh, fishy, disgusting, gross. And then I heard the word sulfur in my mind, um, but I thought, oh, that's my conscious mind. I'm not going to write that down. I should have just wrote it down because sulfur was actually in the title of the target that I was looking at. It was, it was a hot springs, sulfur hot springs or something. Um, but anyway, you know, those tastes I would think would be consistent with what I was perceiving there. And I had a lot of other interesting data. And at one point I, uh, I closed my eyes and I saw this desert landscape. It was real quick. But it was a desert landscape, and I saw very distinct square rect rectangular buildings, a lot of square and rectangular shapes, and they even had square windows, and it was nighttime, and I saw lights coming out. Now, granted, this scene that I'm describing to you lasted for less than a second in my mind. It was a quick flash, but I kept trying to come back and, and hold on to it. I didn't draw it, but I wrote it down. I described it. Square-shaped structures, square-shaped openings in the structures. And um, as I'm looking through my feedback, the buildings in that vicinity were exactly that. It was ex I was there. My mind was there. I perceived it. This is a halfway across the world. I saw it. I perceived 
what was there. And, you know, be curious to look at the time that I saw it and see if it correlates. Where, anyway, um, and then towards the end, I got my first impulse to draw a, a stage three sketch. Because as you get to the end of stage two, the apertures open a little bit wider and you start getting more information and you may have this desire to make a drawing. And I never had that experience. I was like, I can't wait to make a drawing. It seems cool to make a drawing. Um, I'm really looking forward to making a drawing because a drawing is, I'd say, so much more interesting to look at when you're reviewing data because we're, a lot of us are visual creatures. I don't think it's as informative, though, as the stuff you're writing down. But excited to make a drawing. I get to the end and I'm writing this down. I don't have to make a drawing. And all of a sudden, boom, I get hit with a vision in my head. And again, it was just a quick flash. And I said to my, and then I heard the words, um, Seattle Space Needle. And I, I wrote that down. Um, as an AOL, not as I think that's what this is. My mind now understands sometimes we'll get things that it'd be great if that's what the target was and you get excited, like maybe that's what I'm looking at right now. Um, but you tr you don't think about it. You write it down and you and you move on and gather data about that. That's understanding that's one piece of data among everything else. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to draw this. So I, I, I close my eyes and I start seeing the shape and I start drawing the shape. And as I'm drawing, boom, I get another flash and I realize this isn't the Seattle Space Needle. There's, there's more of a rounded thing here. And, and then my conscious mind says, it's a satellite dish. And all of a sudden I see this, this satellite dish. Um, so I start drawing it, but to draw an actual satellite dish, well, some things seemed a little bit different. So I drew like a rounder circle around it. And I said, but there's something heavy down here at the bottom. I'm feeling this round, uh, this round object at the bottom of the needle that I drew in the middle, the triangular shape in the middle. So I draw it and I, I fill it in this dark circle at the bottom. Um, and then I thought, well, it's a satellite dish. So maybe let me draw the bottom of it, whatever my conscious mind right there. So then I'm looking at the feedback and I realized what it was is there's no satellite dishes here, man. I, I freaking totally missed that. And I'm, I'm beating myself up. It's like I totally let my imagination run with me, run away from me. And then I looked uh, at various images of this target. And in one point, one of the springs has a spike, a triangular spike coming out of a circular pool of water in the ground. So there was the circular shape I drew with the triangular spike. And at the base of that spike was a black round rock, which is exactly what I drew. Which brings me back to the value in remote viewing in describing and not naming. What I initially thought was the Sears Tower was a, a geological formation. But my conscious mind, quick little bugger, interpreted it as something else. So the data was there. Now, if I would have just written down or drew the Seattle Space Needle, I would have been way off. But because I drew it in the way that I did, I wrote it down as an AOL, which means here's my analytical overlay. Here's my conscious interpretation of what it could be. We understand that it may not be the Seattle Space Needle, but it may be something that bears similar properties to it in any way, shape or form. So it... After that, you know, and, and I, I've had other experiences. I did a target yesterday, and, and the same thing. I won't go sharing a ton of war stories with you guys, but it was um, it was a really cool experience, and it changes it it, it changes you. Um, and I'm still going through that change. I can't even fully describe it. And again, I'm I'm somebody who has experienced, um, have had psychic experiences my whole life. I've had psychic encounters. I've written a book about it. Um, and this was something new. And this was something amazing. As simple as it seems. Sitting there and trying to wrap my mind around. I was in my basement. And I sent my mind across the world. And drew a picture of, of what I saw. That's... that's, that's a, a, like, how, do you, how do you go back to your normal life? after that how do you how do you do that you don't because this is something that is i think important and valuable and if we can learn to use this skill again we're not all going to be michael jordan's or we're not going to be daz smith's edward reardon's and dick allgaier's but we can all take a piece of that and use that and I, you know one example i give all the time is fake news if if we understand you know, controlled remote viewing protocols, 
and we can adhere to those protocols and be blind to our targets and work with a good tasker, we can gather information to get a better understanding of what's going on in the world to hold our elected officials accountable and make better choices for our society as a whole. Um, so I'm always encouraging us to learn, learn, learn this. Meditate, pay attention to the psychic data that comes your way. Don't be afraid to fail. Test it. When you're wrong, it's not failure. It's saying, okay, this is not psychic information. This is imagination. Learning that is important. So don't be afraid to fail, to make a mistake. And find somebody to talk to about it because it's exciting and it's it's tough when you don't have someone to communicate what you're going through uh, as you're learning about this. And again, I'm a total rookie here. And normally I hate that term, but it's the truth. I'm, I'm new at this and um, I'm just amazed and thankful. Um, so if remote viewing is something you're interested in, there's a bunch of books out there. Uh, you know, read the books, the, the books that talk about, um, the books that talk about remote viewing, read the ones that are interesting to you. I, I liked Courtney Brown's book because it talked about a subject that was of uh, extreme interest to me, ETs and UFOs. That was a cool book and it, it really excited me about remote viewing. And I know there's other books out there, um, but also study the structure of remote viewing. Um... Two excellent books to look at, and I'll have the links for this. Uh, the first, they're both by Daz Smith. The first one's called Controlled Remote Viewing. Manuals, collected papers, and information to help you learn this intuitive art. I highly recommend if you can find yourself a teacher, find a teacher, because there's the, it, it's better to go through that process with somebody guiding you and teaching you. But if teacher or no teacher... Read the books that Daz has written. Daz, um, I, I think he's the remote viewing historian and the, the archivist. Um, and he is trying to give this art, this craft, this skill to the world because he sees the value in it. So this first book, uh, Controlled Remote Viewing, it gives a brief background on what it is. And then it breaks down every stage and it gives examples and it has drawings and it tells you what you're looking for and what to do if this happens and what to do if that happened. It's a, an excellent resource if you're trying to learn remote viewing. Uh, and look at Daz's website, remoteviewed.com. And if you want to continue to immerse yourself in understanding remote viewing and get your mind right to understand how to do this, Daz has another book called Remote Viewing Dialogues. Psychic spy veterans from the 23-year U.S. military and intelligence remote viewing programs share their experience and expertise. I haven't gotten to read uh, this one yet, but having talked to Daz about a lot of these things that are in here, uh, and, and just in my experience in talking to Daz, Dick, and Edward, as I go into remote viewing session, the conversations we've had, the things that I've read, it gives me a better understanding. It gives me more confidence um, in, in trusting my data and trusting the process. I can't tell you how many times, um, you know, one of the guys has said, oh, I feel like this target's way off. It's just felt bad, you know, I, or, oh, I should have written that down or, hey, I tried this type of breathing or whatever. Um, and then we go get the feedback and it turns out, nope, you were on. Good thing you trusted your instincts and wrote that down. And so just having those conversations and this book, this book does that. It gives you that tool that the, it allows you to share in the experience of others, which you can assimilate into your own internal processes, which I think is, is incredibly helpful and beneficial. Uh, so Daz's website is remoteviewed.com. I'll have it in the show notes at sixcentsmedia.net. Um, and I'll also have links to his books because I think they're well worth it. Um, and then lastly, not lastly, but another another strong suggestion I have is check out Edward Reardon on YouTube because Edward puts a lot of his sessions on his YouTube page and he's got even more detail on his Patreon page. You can check out his Patreon page. And if you want to see what remote viewing is, and again, having watched Edward before him, he and I became friends, having watched him online for, uh, I don't know how long, but... Um, 
you see you see a real remote viewer going through the remote viewing process. It's not it's slow. Right? Remote viewing is not you know it's it's not this um, I don't know a lot of times we want the action we want the excitement but if you want to learn this art uh, Edward is a true artist when it comes to remote viewing watch him watch what he does uh, and you can see how he experiences it how he the flow that he has the rhythm that he has how he moves from one stage to another how he records his information and then you hear his feedback and his commentary on how he interprets his data and why he does the things that he does so having all of that background and then going into the training or maybe getting that background in conjunction with training on everybody's journey is different but I know that's helped me. That's alleviated fears and uh, and unknowns and, and things of that nature. And it's validated for me before I even learned it for myself uh, that this is real and that this is possible. Um, and it's a skill we can all learn. So I, I encourage you to to try it. And that's why I'm sharing. I've been, I've been going through this training for a while and I, I wasn't going to share about it um, for a, a whole bunch of reasons. But... I've been thinking a lot about it. Uh, I've been talking to the team and uh, there's a demand for this. People want to know this. And I've been sharing my journey with all of you for the past several years. And this is another part of my journey that I'm ready to share parts of it uh, with you. Um, And I feel like I've talked about it being real and now I'm able to demonstrate that it's real. And I want to share that with all of you and the, the value that we can get from that. And, uh, you know, what my mind, mind keeps thinking now is, well, once I fully learned this, what else can I do with it? What else can I experience? And in doing that, in knowing this skill and having this skill, the scary, sad things I talked about at the beginning don't weigh on me as heavily. I don't like it, but it does. It, something has changed. I can't explain it. Something has changed. It just doesn't. There's more. There's there's something more going on. I don't know what it is, but I feel it. And that's really cool. It's been healing in a lot of ways. So, And maybe someday remote viewing will lead me to understand that even better. So if this is of interest to you, again, check out remoteview.com. Check out Daz's two books. Uh, and check out Edward Reardon, uh, ER Viewer on uh, just google his name or i'm tar- put his name in the youtube or, or i believe he's er viewer um and i'll have the links in the show notes watch his youtube stuff watch his patreon stuff and uh you know lastly i, I highly encourage you to check out the crypto viewing sessions at cryptoviewing.com and then patreon.com slash crypto viewing where you have our sessions you and you have our analysis and our, our breakdown of remote viewing data because it's different uh, than data we traditionally get and consume. And there's a, an art form and a skill set to interpreting and analyzing that data. Um, and I think we're hoping that we're going to be putting more, you know, I know I'm working on some remote viewing testimony and I think the team's working on something else too. So that's a little teaser for you. Um, check it out, please. I, I really, I, I, I stand behind what we do on the team. Um, and what we can offer our subscribers. It's its something that is very valuable. And uh, who knows if the worst case happens and our internet becomes so horribly compromised where they're constantly tracking everything and now coming after you for having a particular search or worldview or political affiliation. And you need for some reason to stop putting those queries because you become afraid to put those queries into the internet. This certainly gives you another option, doesn't it? Another way to gather information beyond just Google, which we know is highly compromised anyway. So if you're listening to this and you're excited and you're charged up, do it. Stop waiting. Do it. Even if even if you only can dedicate a half hour a day, a half hour a week to learning about it and start meditating. I've always felt that I'm a bad meditator and I still feel that I am, but the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. I meditate and I do yoga every single day because the two big, the thing in common between the two of them is focusing on the breath. It's all about the breath. You can, you can focus on your breath. You can, you can calm your body and you can, uh, 
really put yourself in a different state. That's how I start my day every day. Um, one more thing. I, I start my day with the, uh, with the Tony Robbins meditation, his morning routine. He calls it priming. So that's what I can give you guys right now. If you want to go out and start your own practice, let me know. Email me. Message me. Let me know if you're trying this, what success you've had, uh, what questions you have. Uh, you know, again, I'm not, I'm a rookie. I, I want to be quite clear about that. And I ask you to message me from the standpoint of it's, it's nice when you're not going through it by yourself. Um, I'm not saying this as let me be your leader, let me be your guru, let me be your teacher. I'm I'm a I'm a beginner here, my friends. And uh it's neat going through things like this when you're not by yourself. Although sometimes you need to be by yourself, and I get that. I've definitely been on that part of the path too. So okay. Uh I think that's all the time I have right now. Um but Get this journey started, my friends. Uh, why wait? That's all I can say. Why wait? And uh, that's it. If you haven't done so already I and you want to support the show, again, I'm Human Food for the Archons, Humanities, Psychic Connections, Simulated Realities, Parallel Worlds, and the Manipulation of Mankind. Uh, it supports the show. It, it's a great book. You're going to walk away with uh, a, a great foundation in a lot of the stuff that I cover on the show. And I think it gives you a different perspective of this reality. And again, the free ebook, part one of this book, I Am Human and We're Not Who We Think We Are. That's a free read, sixcentsmedia.net slash I Am Human. And it's, uh, it's a free download. And you get subscribed to the weekly Seeker newsletter sent right to your inbox every single week. That's all the time I have, friends. I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been another episode of The Seeker Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. And let your intuition be your guide. Thanks for listening.